Hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking with Jesse Bonali about climbing career ladders. Um, if you're interested in listening to the full interview and you'd like to get access to all of our job search materials, including our job search blueprint and our private referral network, uh, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn more about how to become an associate. If you'd like all of these podcasts and our interview highlights delivered for free to your email inbox, just go to cheekyscientist.com and sign up with your email address on the homepage. Of course, all of our podcasts are on iTunes, and you can listen to them for free there. Uh, once again, today we will be talking with Jesse Bonali about climbing career ladders. Uh, Jesse is a commercial scientist. She graduated with a PhD in molecular biology from the University of Nottingham in the UK in 2009, and since then has taken on many varied roles in industry with a focus on customer service. Uh, she, her first industry role was a research scientist role in molecular genetics at Source Bioscience. Um, she then went on to become a scientist, both both a lab and customer-facing uh, scientist in systems integration at Illumina. Uh, focusing on sequencing and array technologies. Uh, while at Illumina, she volunteered as a sales and marketing uh, market analyst uh, in, in Helii, which is a personalized medicine company, uh, where she provided scientific support to the COO to aid uh, product development and um, product launches. This allowed her to gain valuable commercial experience beyond what was available to her at the time. And she will be discussing that today. Uh, all of this was followed by an appointment as a product market development associate at Horizon Discovery, um, and currently, she is a key account manager and biology specialist at Sigma Aldrich, uh, which has now become Merck. Uh, so we're going to jump in with Jesse now. Thank you very much for being with us today, Jesse. Thank you very much, Isaiah, for that colorful description of my CV. <laughs> um, yeah, I am glad that I have had you know, a chance to share my experience and uh, hopefully somebody else out there will, will learn mm. and uh, make a difference in their career. Absolutely. Well, you, you, yeah, you definitely have experiences to share. And um, one thing we always like to start with, you know, as a PhD yourself, uh, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your story of how you transitioned out of academia, you know, including any you know, any uncertainty that you faced, any difficulty you faced, and, and you know, what led to the transition and, and how it went from your perspective? Yeah, so when I was doing my PhD, I enjoyed the research, I enjoyed the lab, but I always knew that I did not want to stay in academia. I mm. think that became clear during my second and third year of my PhD. So I knew that as much as I loved what I was doing, I, I personally felt that academic research takes a bit longer to make an impact, and I really was ready to have a job where I would work hard on, but actually see the impact I was making, not exactly immediately, but kind of immediately, you know? So, uh, yes. so I felt that... I would be well suited in industry. I am also quite um, personable in nature. So I often feel that maybe academia was a little bit limiting for me. I like to meet new people. I like to work, to work in teams. So my idea 
of an industry role stemmed from those feelings. <clears throat> and uh, in my final year, my PhD, I applied for a job at um, Source Bioscience. And that job, I didn't require a PhD to do that role. Mm. However, I found that when I was applying for for a job in industry, nobody would even give me a chance because, first of all, the way I was putting out my CV, it was very technical-led in a way you would apply for an academic role. So I didn't really have great CV knowledge, but also as well, I guess perhaps back then, there was a feeling that when, you, when you've done a PhD, you might not be able to fit into industry culture. Mm. So I was, I, I was advised by one of the recruiting agents that if you just get a job in, in industry, even though you're overqualified for it, that job is going to open doors because people will now start to see you beyond your PhD. So, and true to word, within six months of being at Source Bioscience, I was there working as a as a DNA sequencing scientist. So we would get samples and I would process them every day. It's, it wasn't very glamorous and certainly not what, what I had hoped to be doing. However, mm. in that job, I learned how to work in teams tight deadlines and um, troubleshooting, um, just interacting with customers, which I never had to do uh, in my PhD. So once I had that on my CV, within six months, recruiters started to, to call me. Mm. And, and whilst I was at Source Bioscience, they bought a HiSeq, which is a, an Illumina platform, and the moment I saw it, I was like, I want to work for that company. <laughs> and absolutely, I saw it. It was, it, I mean, it was an amazing platform. And I was like, yes, that's where I want to go and work. Well, yeah. And is, let me jump in real quick because you've covered yep. a lot of ground. And this is, this is great. I'm just a lot of great lessons already. Um, so so okay. for those, those of you listening, I, I think a, one important takeaway that Jesse brought up here is that, you know, the transition was difficult for a lot of the reasons that you guys are, you know, a lot of the, the same challenges um, that you're having, which Absolutely. are sending out, uh, you know, CVs the way you would send out an academic CV, um, uh, you know, to have challenging um, to, to, to find the right network and to get the leads, to get the job. And, and Jesse ended up getting a, a, her first industry position at something that wasn't very, you know, in her words, glamorous. And, but there was value in that because, again, as Jesse said, and another great takeaway is that, you know, it may not have been glamorous, but it taught her how to work on tight deadlines. It taught her how to work in industry. It gave her that industry experience. And then within six months, recruiters were contacting her. So many of you are waiting for this top glamorous job. You've gotten your Ph.D. You think that uh, there's, you know, there's just one or two positions that you could even fathom doing in industry. This is not the way to, to look at your job search. You need to tend to diversify, get into industry first. Um, and then you'll have recruiters contact you and so many more options. So I just want I just wanted to pause there because that, that is fascinating and it's a, it's a great point. And then what I love about the way that you took on this first position is that after you had the first position, you these other doors started op opening and you looked for opportunity. 
You know, we talk about PhDs working yeah. in the lab right now. Like any any product you're using in the lab, that's a company you can work for. Same is true in industry. You get absolutely experience with different products. That's a company you can work for. So now back to your story. You you saw this device from Illumina. You wanted to work there. So what next steps did you take to to make that transition within industry? Okay. So so Illumina, as you know, it's a genetic um, company. I mm. did not have genetics experience in my PhD. Mm. None. And and in fact, there were a few people that I was working with at Source Bioscience that had a, had a genetics PhD and had applied at Illumina and hadn't got in and had always said, oh, you know, but it's very hard to get in. You know, they are, they, they are at the forefront of this field. And yes, it is a rigorous interview. And, you mm. know, they were like, well, in fact, without a genetics background, you probably don't stand a chance. And, you know, mm. I was like, oh, okay, you know. But I still <laughs> applied. And and um, and I remember that the platform came with these manual books about the, um, about the high seek. And it wasn't my job to work on the high seek, but I would, in my break time, I would read those platforms. I would go online. I would read up about the company, about the culture. So I just literally immersed myself. And a role came up and I applied. And I remember sending the CV at midnight. And by 9 a.m. in the morning came the answer of, sorry, um, you do not have the right CV for this job. And you know what? I felt a little bit disheartened because I was like, but I tried so hard and I really want to do this. However, by midday, their talent acquisition manager rang me to say that email was sent by mistake. <laughs> so so, um, so then uh, we set up a phone interview and what I did with my Illumina job, de- job description to send out that CV was that I, I I highlighted each line in that job description and tried to match my skill sets. So I would urge you to look at the job description, to look at the role and um, write your CV, write your cover letter to fit that job spec. So don't don't have a what, what I call a blanket CV that you send mm. to all. Look at right. the job spec and cater to that. So this job wanted molecular biology. I had that. They wanted the PhD. They wanted molecular genetics. I didn't have molecular genetics, but I took the transferable skills that, that you get out of a PhD. Mm. You're a fast learner. You know, yes. you're analytical. And so in my in my cover letter, I highlighted that, that I have a theoretical knowledge on genetics, but because I am able to grasp information as fast as I can, as we all can, you know, when you're doing your PhD, I was able to convince them of that. So, so you know, so then that sort of snowballed to the technical interviews, panel interviews, and, um, and uh, that, that was the transition into my first 
PhD, I do job. Mm. Yeah, and, and just yeah. to pause again, because I think this is another great mm -hmm. takeaway. Um, you know, targeting your resume, crucial, very important. Uh, for those of you listening, we've talked a lot about that. Um, but also, mm -hmm. we get the question over and over, do I need to have this exact research experience to get this job? No, and, and in Jesse's case, like she said, she didn't even have experience in the field, okay? But as mm -hmm. a PhD, you have these transferable skills that so many people don't have. And one of the biggest ones is, which we talk about over and over, is the ability to learn things quickly. I mean, a PhD is essentially, it's a doctorate of learning, knowing how to learn stuff on your own. And so if you're able to highlight that in an effective way on a resume, uh, you can make these, you know, very large jumps within industry like, like Jesse was able to do. So I think that's fascinating. And I, I, and I want to jump in because I think this is where you're going next. You know, so you talked about how to transition and, and what the, you know, we'll break down your experiences in terms of, of you know, interviews uh, later if we have time, but mm -hmm. you went into more client-facing roles, right? So you went from the bench, which is always great mm -hmm. because, you know, as you get mm -hmm. higher up in a company, you're going to be doing more, more marketing, more sales, more client-facing. So what was that transition mm -hmm. like, and how did, you, how did you do it? So at Illumina, the role that I was in, it was an R&D role, and it was in the validation team. So we were we're working with platforms that weren't even known out there. So there was a lot of confidentiality and you mm. couldn't even talk to the, uh, to the commercial teams be, because, you know, of, of fear that you may expose what, what was about to come. However, the moment I, I, I identified in myself that there was so much more I could do with my PhD and I was really interested in a in a role that would also have a commercial aspect as well as science aspect. I seeked out ways to expand my role. So, um, so first of all, I would also like to highlight that before I worked at Lumina, I hadn't even touched a screwdriver. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't that way inclined, but then I got into a team that was sort of an engineering team. I, I remember asking my boss to allow me to work on this platform that was broken and nobody wanted to, to use it. That's how I learned how to do my job. But then through that experience, I was then able to become the go-to person in the department for troubleshooting similar platforms. And that's when I started to actually enjoy that, the, the role of communicating with other people. And when, and then when opportunities came up that I would go to a customer side to help them troubleshoot with their, um, with their platforms, mm. I took them gladly. You know, I, 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 I made myself available. So yes. my advice, you know, to, uh, to, to anyone in a job is that your job description can, you know, you can find ways to expand your role. You can say that, you know, like, for example, the next team of scientists that are going to be using this 
platform, I would like to be able to train them. How do I do that? You know, so when you, uh, when you identify where you would like to be in your job, find ways to, to boost your CV. For myself in my job, at Illumina, I couldn't really be involved in the financial aspect or marketing mm. because, as I said, I was in a R&D team. So the customer facing that I could do was only technical, but I wanted to boost up my a business acumen. So yes. I I used to network a lot. I mean, I live in Cambridge, so in Cambridge, you have events and you have talks and you have intra, entrepreneurship meetings that I took interest in and then was able to identify a startup that wanted somebody to help them with their market research and forecasting. And I would be trained in those. So in my free time, I would focus on that. And so I was then able to add that skill set on my CV that, okay, I, I have experience in um, customer facing. I, you know, I am able to, to, to do market research. These are things that my role at Illumina could mm. not give me, but I went out of my way to find what I wanted to, to get. And I did it for free <laughs> as well. Yes. So, it might be that you have an idea of where you would like to be. Do all that you can and, and think outside the box. Think of ways. How do I, if I know that I want to be customer facing, doing a business role, but, in, but I'm in an R&D first job out of my PhD, how do I get that experience? Perhaps I should go and volunteer in a Anything, it could be a charity, it could be a startup, something that shows that you you do have those commercial acumen, like customer facing, uh, you know, you're able to work in a team. So what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is find the skill sets that you lack mm. and find a way to get them. Yeah. And, and don't uh, limit yourself. Wait. Yeah get them great takeaways too I think you know the big one here is to, to show initiative if you want to expand your skill set like you said I mean first of all don't limit yourself uh, don't think that you can't yeah. gain new skills um, realize that you can gain new skills and these new skills are what's going to propel you in industry and then most importantly show the initiative um, and mm -hmm. and this might mean going to different networking events you don't have to live in Cambridge to go to different networking events or learn new skills it could mean no. go to more go to no. more company events volunteer uh, so you mm -hmm. you had an example of where you volunteered to to work on, uh, you know, with a with a separate company on on a project, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. for free. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. how many how many of you listening w would think of this? So maybe you can talk about. Okay, so that that is a, a that's a lot of initiative to do that while you're working another job. So maybe talk to us about what your strategy was behind this, why you would volunteer to take on a project, even another company, how you arranged that, and then what that eventually led to. Okay, so I I first tried in my job, you know, so we had this thing called a personal development plan. I also identified 
a mentor who was great. So she had the kind of CV that I I aspire to. So mm. I would speak to her. I would get advice from her. But what became apparent was that in my immediate role, because of the confidentiality and just the nature of the role, <clears throat> I, I would only be able to get some skills. Right. And if I asked, to, to you know to you know expand perhaps going to a marketing or commercial you know experience I wasn't really allowed to do that because of my job so I found another way to gain the skills that I liked so um so I I I used to go to these networking events you know and there you talk to people who are who are studying their own companies or perhaps you talk to people that are doing the jobs that you would aim to have, you know, in the future. But I increasingly just knew that I needed to do a little bit more to get the skills that I needed for a full commercial scientist role. So, um, so I remember telling my friend about it that, oh, you know, did she know anyone that was looking to do in a startup and was looking for some help? And one thing I want to highlight, don't underestimate the power of asking your friends, asking mm. your parents, because sometimes people know the, what you need, but if you don't ask for it, you know, they're never going to offer it to you. So it, it took just, talking to people, connecting with people and trying out this and trying out that. And then I, 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 I was able to be connected with, with this lady that also had a CV that I was aspiring to. And she was starting her startup. And, um, and I asked her if I, you know, if she minded giving me some guidance in exchange that I would do all the maybe not more of the crappy jobs like calling people, code calling and stuff, mm -hmm. things that she may not have wanted to do herself. And in exchange, she would give me advice. She would give me tips. She, um, you know, she opened my eyes to so many other things that I may not have had had I not pursued her. And so, yeah. And so that's how I would say that I, I managed um, just don't give up when someone tells you no. You know, yes. as long as you're not doing anything illegal, you are not, say, helping out a competitor or anything like that. So be aware of your of the rules of your job before you go and help someone else. But you know, also as well, you asked me how did I manage because I was keen to get the experience within a certain time frame, I made a point to say like perhaps every Wednesday, instead of maybe going to hang out with my friends, I would do uh, Heli's work and perhaps every Sunday evening I would do that as well. So I dedicated some time to it because I really wanted to get the experience. So I just 
basically put in the work. Yeah, and that's really what it is. And, and even if it's for free, and I think again, that's yeah. Especially early on in your career, you want to get you want to get all this different experience. And when we were reading all the different companies you've worked for and the things that you've done at the very beginning, um, it mm-hmm. was it, it was very impressive um, and something that you know we don't see uh, very often. So just learning to see new opportunities and not opportunities where I mean everybody's looking for the opportunity where they can make a quick jump and make a lot more money, but where can you gain more skills and more experience, um, even if it's for free while you're working at a current job? And I think that's a great takeaway and really just comes down to, to initiatives and, and not limiting yourself and being able to, and like looking, I love what you said about looking for things to make someone else's life or work life easier, especially your boss. If you can take off things off of their plate, like that's going to mm-hmm. make them so much happier. People don't forget how you make them feel, right? So if you open up their time and all of a sudden they're not doing you know, the things they hate, even if it's entering things in a spreadsheet, right? As a PhD, you got to be willing to do this because it's going to lead to greater and greater opportunities. So I just, I just love, again, I love your initiative and I think it's a good lesson for all of us. So I want to, yeah, I want to change directions a little bit. You, you've worked for small and large biotech companies. I mean, you, you talked about some of the Mm -hmm. smaller ones and now you're working for Merck, one of the largest. Can you share a little bit for like PhD? We have a lot of PhDs here deciding, you know, do I want to work at a small or medium or large size company. Can you talk about some of the differences from your point of view? Yes, um, gladly. So, um, so I want to say, so let me start with Illumina. Mm-hmm. Um, Illumina, whilst I was there, it was a medium-sized company. But the thing with Illumina uh, was that they had, they had been in the industry long enough to have things in place so they had systems in place however they were young enough to still have those bright ideas making an mm. impact not that you, you you don't get that in a big firm no you absolutely do but in a medium sized firm that's on a growth spurt what is different is that they're more willing to change and ideas or change are implemented quickly because they are, they've just passed out of that um, startup phase. They've made a name for themselves and they're still, you know, on that need to keep proving themselves, you know. So it's a great environment. There's always, you know, a lot of young ideas and, and it's fast-paced. Certainly, that's how I felt mm. at Illumina. Um, and then I, and then in a big company like Merck or Sigma Aldrich, they've been in operation for a very long time. That they have systems that have been, you know, established. And so, yes, the resources are there. But sometimes to make an impact is a little bit harder because. They, you know, they've already done so many things and maybe to change things will take a lot longer. So that's my experience. But, but I've also worked for a startup where I feel that you probably are likely to make most of an impact there because they don't have as many people yet. It's developing. However, 
I, I found them a little bit chaotic in that things are not organized, systems mm. are not in place. So a lot of mistakes will be made and you may be at the receiving end of those before they can become a well-oiled machine. Personally, I would say I prefer mid, medium size or larger firms simply because I have found that they've been able to support my growth better because one thing I want to highlight about all these transitions was that when I applied for the jobs, I did not have the perfect, perfect CV. Mm. I always had things that I would need to learn and I would need support with. And I have found that medium firms or larger firms have the capacity to extend that support. Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.